Welcome. This is an audio recording of the World Affairs Council of Dallas-Fort Worth. I'm Jim Falk, President of the Council. The Council is a nonprofit membership organization dedicated to engaging the public in an exploration of global issues and foreign affairs, and we produce over 80 public events each year. To learn more about us or to become a member, visit dfwworld.org. This podcast is made possible through the generous support of Haynes & Boone, LLP. We hope you enjoy it. Consul General, ladies and gentlemen, um, I'm delighted to be here in, uh, in Dallas, or should I call it the annex in the north? <laughs> and and, and, and if, I, if I had known the swamp to the south, I would have used that as well, so at least I can insult. I, I seem to be insulting both, both of you, so therefore it's neutralized. Um, it's a great privilege to be here, uh, and thank you all. Thank you very much, Jim, for your, uh, your kind welcome. Um, and your team at the Dallas-Fort Worth World Affairs Council. Many of you don't know what a Lord Mayor is. Uh, Perhaps I should just spend a few moments on that and what my role and responsibility is for the next year or the year remaining of my one year in office. Uh, I am the 682nd Lord Mayor of London. Uh, There have, uh, out of 820 years of history. So I have a great list of fantastic predecessors who've had a huge impact on the development of London, uh, not, least, not least of all, probably the most famous one, Dick Whittington, who was Lord Mayor on four occasions. So all the mathematicians in this room have probably worked out that some people did indeed serve in that office more than once. I am the head of the local authority that governs the Square Mile, the Financial Services District. Uh, therefore, I am responsible for the organization that has committees dealing with uh, fairly sort of r- routine matters of planning, uh, cleansing, uh, education, Uh, and all the other facilities you would find in any other uh, authority all all around the world. But my primary responsibility is to act as the principal uh, ambassador for the financial services industry. Now, that works in two ways. That acts as an interface between the industry that is based in London. And when I actually talk about the industry, I'm talking about all of those financial services businesses that are based in London. I'm not just talking about representing the domestic operations HSBC, Barclays, I'm there looking after the interests of Deutsche Bank, uh, Morgan Stanley or Bank of America, uh, Wachovia, anyone who's based in London, I support the financial services cluster, uh, as I call it. Uh, It is the largest cluster of financial services businesses in the world. It has over 260 foreign banks based in London, and that's banks. uh, and And on top of that, you can build the funds management industry, the insurers. Uh, It is a very eclectic, mixed group of individuals which come together regularly uh, and produce, last year, £61.4 billion of tax revenues for our exchequer, representing 12.1% of total tax take. Uh, It is also representing 8% of our GDP. So you can begin to see that it is a very, very important industry to the United Kingdom. Which is why, as one of the roles that I have as Lord Mayor, to travel the world over the next uh, nine, ten, nine months of my mayoralty. This is the first of my visits overseas to the U.S. Uh, Many of you may be aware that I've already been to Miami, uh, Tampa, Charlotte, the swamp in the south, uh, and now here. Um, And it's an absolute joy. And the one thing that I have uh, have noted, certainly uh, down in in most of the locations, is the determination to succeed despite the adversity that we all face with the 
um, with, with the economies that uh, we are experiencing in our respective countries. Uh, there is a very, very positive approach amongst all of those practitioners that I've come across, and I'm sure if I was going to spend more time with you before lunch today, I would have probably picked up the same vibe as well. But in traveling overseas, I will spend 90 days away. I will be visiting uh, 23 countries, which will encompass 43 cities. So I've already taken five off that list, 38 to go. It will be covering a diverse uh, group of uh, nations. I will be going to South America at some point, going to Brazil and Colombia and Mexico. I will be covering all of the Gulf states, uh, Bahrain, Qatar, Kuwait, uh, Oman, uh, UAE, both, both centers of Abu Dhabi and Dubai, and of course one can't forget Saudi. Uh, I, will move into in I will go to India, I will go to Russia, I'll go to South, uh, South Africa, I will go to Singapore, Indonesia, Japan, Hong Kong, China, just to name some more of those states, in a very short, short visit, or a set of short visits. Uh, I have some responsibilities back home. I can't ignore those. But uh, technology is a wonderful thing. It enables you to undertake those travels. And uh, I'm sure my primary role, of course, there is promoting, as I say, the financial services industry. I've seen a lot of businesses whilst I've been over in, uh, over in uh, the States. But uh, the dialogues that I will have will be bilateral conversations with either the presidents, prime ministers, uh, finance ministers, foreign ministers, and a number of the other countries that I will be visiting. Uh, and it should be a great challenge as far as I'm concerned, and I'm very much looking forward to it. London faces a number of challenges similar to those that you're facing over here, but the one in, in terms of the financial services industry. The biggest one that we have at the moment is regulation, uh, and that is uh, a matter which I hope will be discussed or continue to be discussed uh, openly, honestly, and from which f solutions will be found through the G20, if not the G7 processes. Uh, we have to work together. We're all partners. We're all part of a global financial community. And there is no point in anyone in any, any one location trying to take advantage of some financial uh, regulation, regulatory arbitrage. Those days have gone, and our, our leaders need to close those opportunities down. We need to work together. We need to act as partners. Uh, and through this regulatory reform period, we're undoubtedly going to come up with some uncertainty. Uh, we've only got to, you've only got to read the uh, messages that are coming out of Davos at the moment. Uh, there seems to be a whole series of differing views, and certainly your president threw uh, a, a little spanner in the works, as we say back home, on Friday of last week, when it would see that we've got the advent of the resurgence of the Glass-Steagall Act that uh, you repealed not so long ago. For your information, uh, the, the uh, cha shadow chancellor back home in the UK yesterday turned around and made the, a very positive statement that, that they have absolutely no plans to break up the big banks in the, that are based in the UK, and therefore we can always already see some schisms going on between sort of political parties, which in many ways are being driven by uh, the, the state of mind of the public. Uh, we have to be mindful of the public. Uh, we have to respond to the interests of the public. And as I say back home to the banks, that they, they need to explain what it is that they do and why they do it. It's not just for money making, but it's a, it is also at making and be mindful of the social contribution that they also make. So we need to respond to those who are the electorate, and certainly that's exactly what our government is doing at the moment in trying to look at the banks, look at them as a vote-winning opportunity, as sadly we move towards an election in, uh, in probably May of this year. The sooner that happens, the better, the greater the stability that we can move f look forward to even if it is in fairly trying times from an economic standpoint. 
One of the big issues, of course, that's going on with, uh, with the financial services industry is the absence of uh, liquidity, uh, and which is why, in many ways, that I've come across to, to the States and where we are talking about the issue of Sharia finance. So perhaps I ought to move into that part of what I want to say by way of an introduction before two of uh, my friends, colleagues, will come up and give you their extra contribution as to how that it can help and somewhat demystify some of the myths that surround uh, Sharia finance. So why should it actually matter to you? Well, Sharia-compliant finance is, for us, a business proposition to expand the range of financing options available to businesses and to investors. U.S. banks and commercial firms have long recognized the value of intermediating this alternative product base internationally. GE issued an Islamic corporate bond, and U.S. banks have a long history in the sector, with perhaps City Islamic Bank the most striking example. U.S. law firms operate expert teams in this sector, and English commercial law is the law of choice for almost all transactions internationally. Sharia-compliant inward investment into the USA, mostly via the UK, has a long and benign history, particularly in real, in real estate, private equity, and general equipment leasing. The oil and gas sector is particularly well-suited to benefit from this alternative financing source during this period of restricted credit and liquidity. Sharia-compliant capital markets and Sukuk bonds, uh, bonds-like in instruments are part of the range of alternative financing products that afford a realistic option for oil and gas financing and other industries in the USA and elsewhere. Strangely enough, the world's first Sukuk was issued by a foreign-owned Islamic, non-Islamic entity, Shell MDS, in 1990. It maximized the investor base and opened, opens up liquidity available from Asia and in the Gulf states, the GCC. It's not just the bond market that is open. Finance, primarily on a leasing basis, is available for rigs, shipping, and the oil field service and power industries. Sharia compliant is, compliant is a growth market worldwide. In 2008, the global markets for Sharia compliant financial services increased by an estimated 25% to $951 billion U.S. dollars. It is developing rapidly in Asia, where Malaysia has an established dual banking system. Hong Kong and Singapore have, formally re have formal regulatory engagement and where new markets like Indonesia and, and China are emerging. As economic weight shifts eastwards, so ways need to be developed to mobilize capital in, many, uh, in, 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 in a way consistent with the ethical approach of its owners. The global economy needs investment in financing trade, in developing infrastructure, in providing capital for new and growing businesses. An increased proportion of this investment is likely to flow from Muslim countries and from Asia, and in many cases, Sharia-compliant products are needed to channel that flow. Sharia-compliant is not just about Muslims. Non-Muslims can use it too. It can be, but not as, is not always used as an ethical or alternative form of finance. There is nothing divisive or discriminatory in the availability of, a, of an Islamic mortgage, a Sharia-compliant savings product, or motor cover through a Takaful provider. It is entirely open to a non-Muslim to open an account with a bank offering entirely Islamic products, and increasing, uh, increasingly numbers have done so. Equally, Muslim individuals who, for 
entirely practical and pragmatic reasons, participate in the conventional system and can continue doing so in the same way, of course, as do governments, central banks, and sovereign wealth funds of Muslim countries. I continue to emphasize, as did my predecessors, that Islamic finance in London is not something strange, exotic, or arcane, but through providing liquidity, contributes to the wider process of global trade and development. This is illustrated by the list of firms and organizations involved. Certainly, it, ex it, it includes exclusively Islamic banks, with some major shareholders from the Middle East and Asia. But alongside them are the majority of British retail banks and some building societies and major insurers. Some U.S. banks and financial institutions have successfully used Sharia-compliant products domestically, too, and have a growing appreciation of them. One example is Devon Bank, where Islamic, Islamic financing now accounts for over 75% of their loan portfolio, where seven years ago they had no activity in this market. And the U.S. is now home to at least 19 providers of Sharia-compliant banking products and services, University Isla uh, Islamic Financial, American Finance House, HSBC, Zayn Finance are a few of those involved. I believe the UK is the best market through which to approach this alternative source of finance because it is now highly regulated, it's a highly regulated product line and we have an equal knowledge of the different contracts that take place in our, in our rival centres of the Gulf States and Malaysia. The British government with the support of the Bank of England and the Financial Services Authority, has made changes in the fiscal and regulatory system to give Islamic finance the same status as conventional Western financial te financing techniques. The official policy is to provide a level playing field. There are several drivers for this policy, which include widening the access to financial products to the broader economy, and because it's good for the financial inclusion of Britain's growing and increasingly prosperous Muslim population. It makes ethical as well as practical sense for Muslims to buy property, to save, to access retail banking, and to obtain cover against risks in ways consistent with their faith. The UK is today the leading Western country offering Sharia-compliant products and the leading market for Sharia-compliant outside the Muslim world. The latest report by a, uh, by a London-based research house shows that the UK has $19 billion of reported Sharia-compliant assets and rank, ranks eighth for Sharia-compliant worldwide. In banking, currently 22 banks offer Sharia-compliant banking, more than any other Western country. Sharia-compliant is mainstream. You can walk into any UK bank and find leaflets about the different bank accounts on offer, including Sharia-compliant options. We also have five fully Sharia UK bank and managed compliant, bank, uh, compliant banks. These banks have full UK banking licenses, no different from those traditional banks, but their business transactions comply with Sharia. They include Gatehouse Bank, who are here today, and you will hear more from their representatives in due course, and are active in the wholesale capital markets. And, of course, there's the Islamic Bank of Britain, which was the first standalone retail Islamic bank with some 50,000 customers today. In capital markets, 20 Sukuk, or Islamic bonds, have raised 11 billion pounds, which are now listed on the stock exchange by the end of 2009. 
and this is only exceeded by Dubai Nasdaq, where there are 21 listings worth $18 billion. We expect these sums to increase dramatically as GCC countries look to raise up to $1,000 billion over the next 10 years for infrastructure investment. In Islamic funds, there are seven Sharia-compliant exchange-traded funds in the UK. In Takaful, similar to mutual insurance, the global market is still at an early development stage. Currently in the UK, HSBC Amana offers home insurance. In advisory, each of the big four professional services firms have Islamic finance teams, which provide specialist advice on tax, listing, transactions, and regulatory compliance. In addition, there are Sharia advisory specialists in London who help you knit together your commercial needs with compliance requirements, and Gatehouse are one of those organisations. In law, 20 UK law firms provide legal services in support of the Sharia-compliant finance market. In OTC trading, where commodity-based agreements are linked to the London Metal Exchange contracts, and, of course, in education, training, and qualifications, where over 50 institutions in the UK provide Sharia-compliant finance qualifications, several business schools, including City's own CAS Business School. We should not forget, of course, the need for the close study of risks and crisis handling. Although Sharia-compliant banks and other institutions look to have fared better than Western ones during the current crisis, Nobody should pretend that risks and maybe unresolved problems are not out there in the Islamic finance market as they are elsewhere. So in conclusion, the UK is one of the world's leading international finance centres. We have a tremendous breadth of financial services to offer, bond markets, asset management, insurance and capital markets. And we are, very, we are a very strong partner for the US. We are each other's largest investors we support around 1 million jobs in each other's countries. Annual bilateral trade in goods were amounted to 112 billion US dollars in 2008. In London, we are a keen partner to US companies looking to use Sharia-compliant financing, particularly in the oil and gas industry, and we would encourage you to look to ex and explore those options with us and the practitioners in London. I actually return to the UK tomorrow afternoon after 10 days in your wonderful country. But whilst I will have been gone, the UK TI team, who have been my host throughout my stay, will be around. And the Consul General has been introduced to you, as is his team that are, insofar as they are, present here today. And I know that they would love to act as a conduit to back to their colleagues in London, who indeed I work with in, due, in turn, to encourage you to come and visit London. If that is something you wish to pursue, they will be very happy to facilitate that. And indeed, who knows that if you do come to London, we may even meet again in the Mansion House, which is right opposite the Bank of England. For those, who, those of you who know where that building is, that is the house that I live in and the house that I work in during my term of office. Thank you very much for attending and listening. Lord Mayor, um, <coughs> uh, uh, ladies and gentlemen, um, uh, my thanks also go to Jim and to the uh, the team from the uh, uh, the, uh, the World Affairs uh, Forum here for uh, allowing us to have this opportunity to present on such a 
um, unusual, perhaps, subject in, in, uh, in the, uh, <coughs> the plethora of things that we might talk about in terms of financial services. A uh, very open um, uh, environment to explore some of the, uh, some of the areas that, uh, uh, that, that might leave you with, with, with questions. Um, my thanks also go to the, uh, the team from UKTI who, uh, uh, and, the, and the consulate uh, as well who've, who've made our, uh, our visit uh, very easy and to the hospitality that we've received from everybody in Texas which is uh, I, you know, legendary. It's my first visit to, uh, to Texas and we hear a lot in the UK about hospitality here and it's been, uh, um, been marvellous. So thank you to all the individuals uh, that we've met from from the uh, from the airlines to the uh, to the uh, uh, to the hotels. Um, our purpose here today, really, or I have purpose on the visit as Gatehouse Bank. I, I, I wear two hats, really. I wear the hat as Chief Executive Officer of Gatehouse Bank, which is a Sharia-compliant bank in the City of London, and I also wear the hat as the representative for UKTI on Islamic Financial Services and uh, special relations with the State of Kuwait for which reason that will become uh, evident a bit later on. So we've got two purposes here. Really one is to do business for Gatehouse Bank. That's my, uh, why I'm here. And the business that, uh, uh, that we hope to do um, specifically in this environment is to bring corporations to the Islamic capital markets, the Sharia compliant capital markets, in the way that uh, GE just tapped the market. Why did General Electric go to this uh, uh, apparently esoteric market? Well, we're here to explain a little bit about why that is and to explain how you two can follow them or Shell or, or, or any of the other corporations which have, uh, which have done that. But it's not just the capital markets where we're active as an organization and as a wider group. We've been doing business in the US uh, with um, overseas capital and wood investment for 30 years. We have uh, a lot of real estate business here uh, and equipment leasing business. It's a wide range of opportunities which already exist. The infrastructure for um, for making those investments and profiting from uh, from business here in the U.S. is very wide. So we we build, we um, lease, we rent, we do all of these kind of things here already, and uh, the market is very open to it. There are a lot of uh, um, lot of lot of business already being done over a long period of time, and the U.S. is well advanced in terms of its Islamic financial. Services. We think of it as uh, we, we think in the UK that we're the leading provider in the West, but the US has off very often had a lead. Uh, we weren't the first to do an international corporate bond, uh, sorry, an Islamic corporate bond. We aren't the first to have done a home finance in, a, in an organisation I worked with before. We had uh, a home finance program, uh, Sharia compliant, in in uh, uh, in three states in the US, and that's a business which is, is pretty wide now. So there's a lot of common ground uh, and a lot of business already being done and a lot of opportunity to tap into these flows domestically and internationally. So uh, the other hat was, as UKTI is to reinforce this message from the point of view of the, the British government, which is that is from our perspective, from that perspective, it's a level playing field business. It's a business of, you know, there's an official government policy which says the domestic Muslim population should be served with the same financial services opportunities and inclusion, uh, economic inclusion, that everybody else, and therefore there should be a policy which is proactively uh, engaging in providing that service 
and that is done through communication. Communication is the key issue for so much in this world, really, communication is the key, and communication in our domestic um, uh, market is, is key to this, because it, it, in the UK we have um, nearly three million Muslims who are very differentiated in their economic environment and have very different uh, access to this communication. It's, it's not a um, homogenous group, so we spend a lot of time reaching out through educational programs, through government-sponsored schemes, just to allow people to understand what's available and how the government's going about it. But we've also changed legislation, which has been vital. Islamic finance is about productivity. It's about engaging in real assets. And the conventional finance market is about debt, increasingly. Um, I, came, I, I got involved in Islamic finance 30 years ago, well, this year, actually, 30 years. And I worked in a very traditional old merchant bank called Brown Shipley, which was hooked up with Brown Brothers Harriman and Alex Brown, that, that, that kind, of, kind of business line. And that kind of old-fashioned merchant banking was what I liked doing. It was productive business that we were financing, merchant, merchant activity. And we had Big Bang and the sweep of uh, this new investment banking culture came in and the world became a very different place for bankers. And this debt... Uh, crisis that we faced in the last couple of years started to build up then. That's when that began, that, uh, that bubble began. It's been going on for a while. It's not a couple of years or five years, as you might think. It's been going on for a long time. I didn't like it. I didn't like that business. And uh, I found myself by pure accident working in an organization which was serving a customer that didn't want interest on its money. And he said, what are you doing which is like interest, but actually is profit? So we ended up doing trade finance and that kind of business. And it led me back into that merchant banking business that I like. So for me, it's an economic activity. It's not, a, for me personally, a religious issue at all. It's just a preferred economic model and preferred financial model, which I like, which I think is, is, uh, is good. But that difference between um, a debt-based financial system and an asset trading productivity-based system is most heavily um, uh, identified in the area of taxation. There is a penalty for equity, there is a penalty for assets, <coughs> and an un, uh, uh, unequal um, tax benefit goes to debt. So debt is easy from a tax perspective, direct investment is, is less easy. So for inward investment, we have to do a lot of structuring around the market for tax and our lawyers and our accountants uh, are an integral part of making that, uh, that, uh, that interface successful for the Islamic financial community. And as you go through the, your uh, experience of going back to this, this, this concept of uh, go back to explore Garst-Eagle and go back to explore this business about direct banking over investment banking, you'll come round through that same experience that we face every day of how do you tax this, this, this system. If you start to split the system into two, how do you manage that tax environment? It's an issue that we have to deal with all the time. So that's what makes Islamic finance or Sharia compliant finance different. It's this hook into the real economy. It's the hook into productivity. It's the hook into uh, um, real asset finance. Very difficult for us to leverage excessively. We can't do derivative products. We can't do the kind of business that um, a lot of the investment banks can do. We're prohibited from doing it. 
And for a long time, we've been penalised in, in, um, in our competitiveness. There's been, it's been very difficult for an Islamic bank to be competitive. We don't lend. We look very closely at the risks of the businesses that we're involved with because we're taking those risks, we're sharing those risks, we're getting engaged in those businesses. So we're much closer to the coalface of risk than an intermediate or heavily disintermediated capital market. So we have not priced ourselves in the way that the conventional um, securities markets price themselves. We've been more expensive because we've priced our risk. Uh, we think we priced our risk correctly, and we think that the uh, conventional market has been anti-competitive, really. It's been, it's been mispricing its risk and, and has recently paid the price. In the UK, I know my grandchildren are going to be paying tax uh, on the, uh, the bailout of the banks, um, and that's uh, very expensive. People say that... Uh, you know, conventional banking is cheaper, but I think my grandchildren are going to find out that conventional banking is actually a pretty expensive business to be in. Um, so I'm not here to prophesize in this uh, in this business. I'm just really here to explain that there are fundamental differences. A lot of people would say would look at an Islamic account and a conventional account and say there's not much difference, and there are, in many ways they're not because we all come in an economic sense from the same fundamental structure. Doesn't matter whether you're from a uh, uh, your economic model is Christian or, or from a or Jewish or, or, or Muslim. It's all the same Abrahamic uh, uh, economic effect that we're, we're playing with. And the, the, the contract-based business of Islamic finance is, um, is the same contracts that underpins, for instance, the equipment leasing market here, development of uh, leasing in the U.S. around the, the rolling out of the railroads was uh, built around, uh, you know, that's where the lease contracts uh, uh, arrived. And they were all brought in from Constantinople and from the, you know, from the, uh, from the Islamic legal structure. And Islamic finance is heavily um, contractual. This is not, as the Lord Mayor mentioned in his uh, speech, an arcane business. It's not a mystical business of some kind where you have to approach the business model through... Um, uh, you, you know, you don't have to ap ap approach this through um, through a you know through a spiritual haze. It is purely contractual. There's a, the 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 different contracts uh, that we use are legal um, legally by everything is, is is rooted in legally binding documents. And luckily for us, particularly in the UK, but also in the US, uh, that uh, you know common law and UK law is the prevalent uh, law for uh, Islamic contracts because it is, uh, there is no such thing as a national law or an international Sharia law um, that's sort of a spook thing. It's not, doesn't exist in a, in a way that you can, you, can, uh, you can use. So we use UK law. So for an Islamic leasing contract, you use an ijara for, I mean, I'm straying into presence, uh, in ground here, but you use legal structures, and most U.S. law firms are very experienced in this. Uh, most U.K. law firms are experienced in this. The tax consequences have been well ironed out through 30 years of inward in investment. My chairman is uh, is here today, Fahad Boudet. Uh, from he's flown in from Kuwait to join us. Um, we're a British bank, but our shareholders are Kuwaiti, and uh, Fahad is you know is, is educated in the U.S. And he has been doing uh, this business in the U.S. in equities and in real estate for not 30 years, but certainly uh, certainly 20. And that 
never found really an obstacle to doing the business that we've been doing. If, you, if you're looking at real estate uh, opportunities and you're looking for investors, catch Fahad on the, on, the, uh, on, on the way out. So that's really the message I wanted to leave, is if you want to intermediate the international capital markets and Islamic finance, like GE has done, or, or many other different uh, corporations, I've done, uh, you, know, we, we can, you can reach out through London, where we have a regulated environment that covers all of the anti-money laundering, all of the KYC, all of that, uh, uh, all of that business in a, in a highly regulated way, which may be an issue in other places in the world, but which is, which is addressed head-on in, in London. You can reach out through the legal infrastructure which is in place to, to, uh, to simply and quickly manage that, that process. If you want to bring in money for your leasing businesses, as we've done with AT&T or or again GE here a lot of business with, with GE over time or whatever you in the US you can do that if you want your real estate to, if you want to invest overseas or, or bring in uh, foreign capital for, for that business it's an open market and through London the opportunity exists to do it through a, a, um, a structured market so that's my uh, my piece and I'll hand over to Puzant to cover the fundamental economic difference between the two approaches uh, is the approach that you spoke of more fundamentally driven by a percentage of the profits as opposed to a percentage of the debt in terms of how you calculate your return as an investor. Uh, they, there are debt products in Islamic finance, so it is, it is possible to do um, uh, through certain of, con certain of the contracts a purely debt-orientated kind of transaction. The, uh, the Islamic model is far more weighted towards, though, profit and loss sharing and partnerships. So fundamentally, yes, you're exactly right. The, the economic model differs heavily in that area of, uh, um, uh, 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 of profit sharing. But also, it's, it is not possible to do even a debt-related transaction uh, in an Islamic, with an Islamic finance contract which is, which is not hooked to an asset. So if I want to, I can't generally lend, I can't do lending, but if a company wants to buy something and sell something, if it has working capital needs, I can provide debt for those specific assets, but I can't give it debt to, um, to generally leverage its, uh, its business or to speculate. I can't enter into speculative business uh, and I can't sell things that I don't already own. So I can buy and sell, I can um, uh, invest, I can take rent, I can take uh, a profit share from a business, but I can't speculate in markets and I can't generally lend without uh, and receive interest. I need to receive um, a share of that uh, uh, economic profit, which can be predetermined. It can look a lot like interest, but you have to understand that this business came before interest. The, you know, the profit on Islamic finance was defined some long period before interest was even a word that we, uh, that we had invented. So there's a lot of similarities. It, interest copies um, the, uh, the, 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 the profit motive from, from the Islamic model. So, but yes, you are, the answer to your question is yes. 
History, um, it, we, we don't have time to cover the whole the history of that here. We did try, I mean, when I was at United Bank of Kuwait, we opened a, um Al Mansell program out of uh, New York, and we, we reached into three states, but it was so expensive from a regulatory point of view to go through that process state by state um, to get the permissions and then deliver it that it was economically very difficult. HSBC Amana is I think the second biggest Islamic bank in the world. HSBC you wouldn't think of uh, in that sense, but they, uh, in Malaysia, the UK, they're very big. And I know they made a significant effort to roll out HSBC Amarna USA. But again, I think it was, you know, it, it's a, it's, um, retail business is expensive. And when you're rolling out a new product in a market where you have to invest so heavily in communication and, and education, <coughs> there are barriers. They, there is a lot of interest from the UK to spread those domestic services, but I think that it will be a long time before they can do it. However, there are a lot of banks here. Whittier, I think I was hearing about, as well as Devon, HSBC. Um, there are uh, La Riba, um, American Finance House. There's a lot more, I think, in the, uh, uh, on, the, uh, on the West Coast than there is uh, here. But it is here, and it is, it is available, and quite a lot of regulatory work has already been done, and quite a lot, of, a lot has been steered through um, is it the Treasury. And the other question is also investment products, asset, so that's not just yeah. alternatives of funding mortgages, mm. but investment products. Uh, it's pretty, the, regulate, the regulatory regime and not just the, the, I mean, the, the Sar whole Sarbanes-Oxley activity, makes it quite difficult for overseas countries to sell investment products into the US. So most of our investment products don't have, you know, have, don't sell in America because the regulatory scheme regime is tough, as it should be, you know, I mean, I'm not, it's not a criticism, that's a, a, that's a, a strength that you have here. But it is, a, it is an obstacle. I think we would, you know, one again, one of the things that Fahad and I are doing while we're here is investigating what kind of appetite there may well be for that. Um, because uh, it is something that, that we think a number of banks would like to do if the if the opportunity existed. Another question? You had a question, Terry, and we'll go back to that. I believe that is in the Takaful home insurance bit. Yeah, I believe so. I, 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 uh, I know they exist. They, I don't know their, uh, their location. California. California. Okay. You had a question in the back. Ma'am? You had a question? Yes, um, I'm certainly not an expert, and the little bit I know is about investment in commercial real estate and finance and commercial real estate. And in the U.S., a lot of the finance structures uh, are treated significantly less well than debt in bankruptcy. First, I wondered if that's the same in the U.K., and secondly, whether it is or it isn't, is, is that um, causing Sharia investors Good question for the lawyer. Okay. Um, 
actually, it's it's the opposite because uh, a, a lot of the uh, Sharia compliant um, real estate, particularly in the real estate investment fund, uh, that are documented under English law, are very robust. So, um, in 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 the real estate fund sector, uh, you know, you see a, a lot of investment where Sharia finance is combined with conventional finance, uh, and those are pretty robust. In the securitization uh, arena, uh, again, uh, the the model which is documented either under English law or various U.S. state laws, uh, there's often uh, uh, true sale opinions that are provided. Uh, and what Richard mentioned, all these transactions are documented under uh, common, common law, uh, either English law or U.S. law, which works very well because uh, a lot of the Sharia contracts, they are uh, used to be static nominate contracts, but what's happened over the last few years, they've actually been used in a very um, creative way to create more complex structures. So in that respect, common law uh, works very well because it's flexible, it's fair, uh, and it's quite predictable in its outcome. So uh, actually it's worked very well. In, in fact, there is a, uh, in, in the provision of the uh, true sale opinions and non-consolidation opinions in these transactions that held up very well so far. Yes, sir. In, uh, excuse me, in debt-based financing, many, many of these uh, instruments, like commercial paper, bonds, bills, notes, are written on a fully uh, negotiable basis. My question is, how negotiable yeah. are Sharia-compliant uh, contracts? And if so, how do you go about pricing? Okay. Um, on the legal aspects of that, they are negotiable and they need to be structured in a way that makes them negotiable. So for example, what one fundamental aspect why uh, debt is not um, really, uh, you know, it's not really prevalent is because you can't guarantee return. So a lot of the Sharia compliant sukuk, for example, which is a securitization, whether it's a securitization of an income stream or an asset or a productive activity, uh, it's irrelevant. Uh, but a lot of them are really, you can't guarantee the return. So they have uh, features of equity-like equity -like features. In terms of the negotiability of these instruments, they behave exactly like normal bonds. So they are structured as trust instruments. They're cleared through the clearing systems. They're held in the investors in the same way as normal bonds would be held. And that's why London is such a, you know, <clears throat> that's why G Capital decided to list, you know, $500 million of bonds in London. Uh, because of the depth and liquidity of the market there, but they're traded exactly the same way. In terms of pricing, I think there's a very similar, depending on the credit you know, of the uh, underlying entity or the asset or both, uh, the pricing follows those similar guidelines. Time for one more question? Yes, ma'am. Elaborate on the benefits or the essence of 
them have suffered tremendously, why you might encourage them to consider Islamic financing as an alternative yeah, the, the, the first question is, um, uh, you know, is always the elephant in the room. It's a very good, uh, very good question for somebody to actually ask because we know everybody's thinking it. So it's a, it's the, it's a very good question to ask. It's always the elephant in the room and very often, you know, everybody's thinking it but nobody asks the question. So I'm really pleased that you did because it, it gets it on the table. Um, you know, I'm not a Muslim. I, I'm a... a you prefer to come and answer the question. Sorry, my chairman will come. Come on up, Mr. Chairman. <laughs> Assalamu alaikum for the Muslims in the room. Um, and I think this is the best uh, to answer this question, being a Muslim and, uh, and being investing in a Sharia-compliant manner. Um, very important to note, I think, uh, is the transparency of Sharia law and what it does. It's important to know that this is ethical investing. When I started this in uh, 1996, I, s I was put and given a task to come and find the Sharia-compliant Equities Global Fund, and there was nothing of that. And I started off uh, with ethical investing. So what, what, what are they? We don't invest in uh, weapons. We don't invest in uh, alcohol, gambling, pornography, the ethical parts. And then there was the financial parts, which is interest-based. So we screened c companies, and we got a, a, a list of, of companies that were compliant. That's how I explained it to the managers in the beginning. Slowly, but surely, we got to a point that they started understanding. This was the basics of Islamic finance. <clears throat> As we get into, into uh, a more... Uh, you know, as we grow into this and, and it's becoming more global where we're having Islamic banks in, in, in the UK come and talk about it and people worried about terrorism and, 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 and the elephant in the room, let me uh, make sure uh, a couple of things here. I uh, represent a group that has invested, um, I would say, more than a billion dollars in real estate in the United States. Um, we have owned... Real estate that was that is leased to the U.S. government. Um, we went through the KYC. They wanted to know who we are. We have nothing to hide, and great. Um, and then they approved. And this is the same thing for every regulatory environment, whether it's in the United States, in the U.K., or in the Gulf. <coughs> the regulatory environment of what is the source of funding, who are you, and what do you do? If you can answer all these questions, the regulator, the regulatory, you know, there's no, there's nothing to hide. There's nothing, you know, that you do. Um, there, I haven't seen one example in our experience in the United States, 15 years, that this was a hinder to us. We've owned property leased to Homeland Security, and we, as a tenant, as a, as a landlord increased security in the building. We gave him a sense of pride. I got a letter from the Admiral thanking us for what we have done in the building, what we have done as a landlord. We gave him a sense of pride of the Coast Guard. Uh, you know, uh, when we, uh, this is a, just a small example. <clears throat> uh, we bought a building on, on a Friday. And when I went uh, on the tour the week before, 
you know, I didn't feel a sense of pride. This is the headquarters of the U.S. Coast Guard in Washington, D.C. <clears throat> so we asked our property manager, Tishman Spire, to bring in an excellent cleaning crew and do a rug, a big rug with the emblem of the U.S. Coast Guard and give every employee in the building a uh, chocolate souvenir with the emblem of the U.S. Coast Guard uh, stating compliments of new building ownership. And we're here to help you out and do whatever needs to be done as a landlord. <clears throat> These are examples of that. Maybe I come, you know, we come from Kuwait, which is a very, uh, you know, thankful uh, country to the United States of what they have done, but, and, and you know, the relationship as, as an, a strong ally of the United States, that's something. But as, a, as, as, as investors in the United States, we have not had any problems. We went also through court cases in Washington, D.C., all the way to jury trial, and we won. Uh, you know, there was a jury there. We were afraid from the elephant in the room, but we respected the legal system, and it, the jury, which was in Washington, D.C., respected and gave us the verdict that was on our side. So is there anything to worry about? I don't see it from my point of view. The regulatory environment and the KYC, know your client, know what the sources of the fundings are, is important. That's why we set up our bank in London because of this um, legal uh, uh, system of, of really and regulatory environment of, uh, of, of the FSA, of who is the source of the client. And if you, you know, do your homework well in that area, I don't think there's anything to worry about. Um, that's an experience from us as shareholders that have invested, um, you know, I would say billions of dollars in, in, in the global economy in the United States. Um, and the experience has been good. So I hope I've answered some of that questions, but it's, uh, it's, it's, that's what we're, it is. We're glad you're here. Thank you. Give that candor. Thank you. Thank you very much. Can Ladies and gentlemen. For more information about the World Affairs Council of Dallas-Fort Worth, visit them on the web at www.dfwworld.org.